I want to read to you from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 25 to 34. And I've called today's message, How Much More? This is verse 19, Matthew 6, down to verse 25. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin, or one version says rust, destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more, everyone say much more, valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we drink, or what shall we eat, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father, your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Can I just ask a favor? Sorry to do this right at the beginning. But this lighting effect with the little circles, that's like the Misterons from Captain Scarlet. Can we take that off, please? Because it's just distracting me over my notes. So... <clears throat> there we go. It's not gone yet, but if it could, as soon as you can. All right, if I'm honest, I don't really want to preach today. If I had a choice, it's not because I haven't done it for three months, by the way, and I've forgotten how. Uh, I did wonder, am I going to have something to say, but I feel God's given me something. But if I had a choice, really what I'd want to do is just ask you to form an orderly queue. And I'd like to either shake hands or hug every single one of you, whichever level of physical contact you're comfortable with. Look you in the eye and say, do you know how loved you are? Do you know your value? words similar to what Jesus said here. Do you know what you're worth? 
primarily to God, but to us as well. Do you know? I think in our day and age, we are obsessed with the value of things, how much things are worth. I, I like the Antiques Roadshow. Any others here? Good, few of us. I know it's a bit of an old program. It's been around forever. But I love it when they found this painting in the loft, in the attic. They brought it to the Antiques Roadshow. The expert's going to tell them all the history about it. And then at the end, the most important question, which is really what the whole program's about, let's be honest. How much is it worth? I know some people fake it and say, I don't care how much it's worth. Of course you do. That's why you brought it for the experts. What's it worth? We want to know the worth of everything. If you want to sell a car, where do you go to? The Glasses Guide. It's online now. It's no longer available in paper ver version. And it says this online. The Glasses Guide has been considered, listen to this, the motor trade Bible since 1933 and is woven into the very fabric of the UK motor industry. If you are a homeowner, and I know you're not all homeowners, but after you've been in there a while, at least two, three weeks, you want to know, what's my house worth now? We've actually been in the country back in the UK for two weeks. We've been out to Tesco's with our hood up and dark glasses on, trying to just keep under the radar. <clears throat> but one of the things we decided to do we decided to get our house valued. Because we want to know, we paid 110,000 for it in 1995. Is that right? What's it worth now? So we had it valued. You all want to know what it's worth, don't you? <laughs> we rang our daughters, or our daughters, both of them in Australia now. Can you believe it? Both of them have stayed there. So we FaceTimed them yesterday and we said, oh, we had the house valued this week and one of them, quick as a flash, what's it worth? My first thought was, what's it to do with you? Why do you want to know what it's worth? I'm not planning on selling it anytime soon or going anywhere else that might leave some of it to you. You want to know how much things are worth. Here's a question John Ortberg posed when we were at Menlo Park a few weeks ago. And so what I'm saying today is based on some of the things he said. And we went there to the church to visit in San Francisco. And he said this. He said, IBM, Big Blue, first got listed on the New York Stock Exchange in 1915. Question. If you had acquired one share of its stock on that day in 1915, how much would you be worth today? Now, I know this is a financially literate church, so 1915, but just tell the person next to you what you think that, that might be. Go on, have a guess. And then I'll tell you the answer. Here's the correct answer. According to John Altberg. If you bought one share of IBM stock in 1915, you would be dead today, so you'd be worth nothing at all. <laughs> and that's the reality. We think our worth is related to what's in the bank, whereas God says there's another level. There's something higher than what you've got in stocks and shares. And Jesus talked a lot about the value 
of human beings. Just before he's about to heal a man who has a withered hand. And he's going to do it on the Sabbath. So all the religious people around are waiting. Will he do work on the Sabbath? And he heals the man with the withered hand. And this is what he says. These are the words of Jesus, Matthew 12, 11. He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more? Everyone say, how much more? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. We should look after our sheep. Praise the Lord for sheep. If they're in the snow, dig them out. We visited New Zealand. Thank the Lord for New Zealand lamb. We enjoyed it. God bless every sheep that's ever lived on this earth. But let's remember this. How much more valuable is a person? What about this one? Matthew 6 and verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable? Say much more valuable than they. Thank God for the birds of the air. They're beautiful. But you are worth more. This last one. Same kind of vein. Matthew 10, 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. I think God mourned as I just kept losing over the years. And then he adds, don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. God values sparrows. Our father cares for them. The birds of the air are fed by him. But how much more? I'm not a bird watcher. I admire those that are. In the church here, we have a couple, actually. I was thinking, I said David Chandler uh, is an expert, but I think Mike Harvey as well, and others of you. You know your birds. I try to get into it, but I can't hold them in my brain these days. But I love to look at birds. Whilst we're on sabbatical, I went on a fishing trip down the Sacramento River. It's one of the best fishing spots in the US and in the world. It's fished all year round. And I hired a guide for the day. I'll tell you how much it cost. It cost me $500, which is not cheap, is it? But I was determined to catch fish because I'd drawn a blank in New Zealand. And I thought, this guy, he was amazing. He is my new hero. He said, put your line over there, fly fishing. You'll catch a fish about this size there. I did. Move over to here. We, we, just, we just went down the river. It was, it was idyllic. It's what I think heaven could be like. And, and I caught loads of fish. But he was an expert in regard to birds. He knew. He said there's over 100 species on this river section that we're on. And these are the birds that my guide showed, showed, pointed out to me. Listen to this. I saw a double-crested cormorant. I saw Canada geese galore. I saw wood ducks, grebes, herons, sandpipers, gulls, pigeons, woodpeckers, turkey vultures. I didn't even know they existed. Terns. How about this? I saw a bald eagle. And I wasn't looking in the mirror. I saw, last one, well, second to last. I saw 50 meters away, as he's in the boat and I'm casting my light, he said, look at that over there. There's a golden eagle. I saw. 
a golden eagle and sparrows. And as I looked at them, I love nature. I was reminded, God provides trees for them to nest in. God gives them twigs so they can make their nests. God gives them other birds so that they can make other birds of the same kind. God gives them fish to eat, bugs, slugs, ants, all kinds of creepy crawlies for them to feed on. And then I remembered, he cares for them. But I and you are more valuable than they How much more? The birds of the air are looked after by our Father in heaven. But how much more? You, me, are worth to him. He says at the end of the passage, you're worth more than many sparrows. Wonder how many sparrows the person next to you is worth. How many sparrows, Steve, would you need to trade in Miranda? There aren't enough ever that has been created is the answer. I bet you're glad I'm back. Who's been picking on you while, I, while I've been away? How much more? There's never been enough sparrows created to equal the worth that you are, David, to God. People matter to God more than anything else. People matter more than anything else to God. People have asked me spiritually, spiritually, whatever that means, where did you feel like you connected with God the most on sabbatical? Someone said to me this morning, I expected you to come back and look more monk-like. Well, I've got no plans for that. Where did you connect most with God? When, When we went away, I think you remember, those of you that are here then, it's wonderful to see how the church has grown in three months. Wonderful. We were planning, and we did this, to visit a number of different churches. So someone said, where did you sense God the most in the time that we were? Was it under the preaching of Joseph Prince? We went to his mega church in Singapore. And he spoke, listen to this, for an hour and five minutes. An hour and five minutes, and I got respect. I felt that was a sign from God that we should have longer preachers he was great. I loved it. I enjoyed every moment. We enjoyed it, didn't we? Great building. Great food afterwards in the complex that this building is in. Or was it a Hillsong Church, Sydney? Hillsong Church, Sydney's on a roll. I think it was 40,000 people they saw go through their Christmas services in Australia. It was, they had in their Christmas spec, which stands for spectacular, and it was. They had real camels. Camels, honest, real camels that poo. They walked in pooing. Sorry to mention that. They were real. There was someone behind in the bucket. There was real sheep. It was, the services were so well done and so natural with it. Loved it. We went to a church called C3 Church, Oxford Falls. The one that stole our name. And I went and met the pastor there, a guy called Phil Pringle. He's actually the leader of a movement. And I said to him, you stole our name? That was a very awkward conversation. <laughs> that was on Christmas Day, just before we went to the beach. On Christmas Day. You have to. 
Or was it Destiny Church, Rotorua? We didn't know this church. We just saw it on the high street. We thought we're going to go and visit this church. It It was more of a Maori church. It was so macho. It was a good church. I enjoyed it. This is the thing that I learned from that church, which I feel of God we should introduce here. When the preacher was in the middle of his preaching and he'd get more excited and he'd get into the flow, members of the congregation would run out and, no, no, not just touch him, throw money at his feet. (laughs) And it wasn't just coins. It was money as in notes. I feel that is the key to revival. (laughs) This is the way to do it. We loved it. We loved it. This is great. Or was it Timberlines? Some of you are looking at me. I'm joking. You're okay? But I will accept checks. Was it Timberline, Colorado, with our good friend Jeff Lucas and his ability to communicate so succinctly and clearly? Or was it in Bethel in Reading? We went to Reading, which is where I went fishing on the Sacramento River with their outstanding worship. Outstanding. We went for prayer. We actually booked in for a prophetic session, but it was full, so they said, come early. So we went early, but that was full as well. So we just went to the welcome team, the connect team, and they prophesied over us, just standing there, just totally naturally, not shabba-dabba, weird and wonderful, just, hey, this guy said, pleased to meet you. Do you speak in public? And he prophesied over us, just really natural engaged. We loved it. We loved everything, every church we went to. I don't even agree with all the theology of all these churches. Actually, there's only one church that I think has got their theology fully right. Uh, No, maybe we haven't. I was going to say here, but I'm not even sure about here. (laughs) Then we went from, we went from there to San Francisco and we went to a night of hope with Joel Osteen. Have any of you ever heard Joel Osteen? Man, he's got great teeth. (laughs) He's beautiful. He is. He's beautiful. You see him on stage, I want to kiss you. (laughs) And his wife, Victoria, she is off the charts beautiful. (laughs) Nearly as beautiful as my wife. (laughs) And then he's got these two children. The designer children, they're both on stage. It looked amazing. And his mother, who had cancer when she was 34 and got healed from liver cancer when, when they didn't have all the medicine around, she was healed. And she, she, she gets on stage, 84. I mean, she was good looking as well. And I'm thinking, I don't, I've heard lots of bad stuff about this man. Why am I playing a guitar? I don't know. I just just felt like, I've heard lots of stuff about this man. And I loved him. He started crying in the middle of this preacher. I thought, that's my kind of preacher. And then last week, we were actually in Cambridge. We tried not to drive past this place. My wife and I, had the only Sunday off probably we can remember in Cambridge. So we went to King's College Chapel, Chapel Evensong in the afternoon. I loved it. It's beautiful. It's different than Joel Osteen. But God was there. And in all those other places. And I'm saying to you, I don't agree, but God was there. And then we went for a walk around town. Do you know what? On, on, on Sunday, there's people who aren't in church. We never knew this. 
We're in town. Where are all these people coming from? There should be a church. I'm joking. There's a big pond to fish in now. Save all those places then, Steve. Where did you sense God? What time does this service finish? Quarter two, isn't it? Yeah. Where did you sense God the most? I'll tell you. This is where I sense God the most. In a sheep field with a farmer called Guy who came round on his dirt bike to take our $10 for our camper van. By the way, we did our camper van experience. I just want to confirm it is of the devil. We'll never do it again. <clears throat> but we've done it. It was on the bucket list. I didn't die. I'm still here, but we're not going back. So we did a camper van experience. What, 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 anyway. And we were in this field right next to Lake Tekapo. Tekapo is part of UNESCO Dark Sky Reserve. Very little light pollution in that area. And it was my birthday. When you get to my age, birthdays somehow become bigger and smaller all at the same time. 21st of January, not, not my 21st birthday, 21st of January. My daughters who were with us on the more comfortable beds than we had, they said, we'll wake you up for your birthday. So we went to bed 20th of January, we fell asleep. And then they woke us up, said, come on, it's time to come out. We went outside, right next to Lake Tekapo. We walked outside, and the sky, guys, I've never seen anything like it. Crystal clear. You felt like you could touch the stars. You felt like you were in the middle of it all. The Milky Way was visible, so clear. There were shooting stars. The moon wasn't full, it was just the right, it was, it was perfect. And we walked out, it's my birthday, the stars are shooting, and my daughter's there, my wife's there, and they started to sing to me, happy birthday to you. You know the song. Happy birthday to happy birthday to Stephen. And a shudder went down my spine. And I had an overwhelming feeling. This was it. I felt totally insignificant. I felt totally, who am I? What am I? I felt, I wrote this in my journal, like, the speck, like a speck of a speck of a speck of dust on the canvas of time. I felt minuscule. I felt vulnerable. I felt weak. It literally took my breath away. And I didn't know what to do. And thankfully, a psalm came into my mind. It's a psalm that was put to music by Keith Green many years ago. And to be honest, it was the music that came to mind of Keith Green singing this. But I'll read you the words. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels. Listen to this language and crowned them with glory and honor. 
You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and animals of the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish in the sea and all that swim the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. And in the midst of my feeling of inadequacy, and I was thinking this, this thought went through my mind. When I was younger, I used to think, oh, I'd love one day to bring my children to see this. The thought that went through my mind when I was there was I'll probably never see this again in my lifetime. I'm thinking differently. But in that moment of vulnerability and inadequacy, through the message of that psalm, I felt God just speak to my heart. How much more valuable are you? How much more? When I read that, Properly, I went back. Look at the language. You're crowned. Your feet, everything's under your feet. Everything's under our feet because we're under the feet of Jesus. Look at the language that we're crowned with honor and glory. This is royalty language. This is, this is about kings and queens and princes and princesses. This is about us, guys. We are sons of the most high. And I used to sell to myself, I'm a son. I'm a child of the king of kings. Yes, I feel insignificant, but he has made me significant in my insignificancy. And you as well. Come on. Or oh, in case you think you're going to take all the glory to yourself with such royal language. Finishes by saying this, Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name. So when you see the heavens, yes, you're small, but you're known by the one who created the heavens. You're known by name. He knows your name. He knows my name. That passage is describing me and you. This is our God-given task and identity. Human beings are different to every other creature that walks on the face of the earth. We reflect the image of God like no other creature can. We can choose, we can reason, we can love, we can communicate and invent and desire. And all that is because we're like God. You've never set eyes on someone that isn't like God. Now, I know this. Some of you are better looking than others. Some of you Billy, what are you laughing at? <laughs> Some of you are more intelligent than others. Yeah, I was looking at you then. Some of you are stronger than others. Some of you are more musical than others. Some of you can speak in public like others can't. Some of you are more caring than others. Some of you are different. But this is what Martin Luther King Jr. said. Listen to this. There are no gradations of the image of God. There are no gradations of the image of God. We are all made in the image and likeness of God and loved by God. Do you know how much you are loved and how much you are worth? Do you know? Do you know? Jesus understands people. That's why he taught with such insight and wisdom. He knows us so well. And he knows there is a propensity in us to worry and to devalue ourselves. And so he reminds us, 
Don't be anxious about life. Why? Because you are worth so much more. So much more. And I don't think Jesus says this, by the way. This was a revelation to me. When he says, do not worry, he's not saying this in an accusatory way. He's not kind of grabbing you by the lapels and saying, stop worrying, will you, you idiot? There's compassion in his voice. He knows our frame. He knows that we are but dust. We are those who will always have a propensity to worry if we lose the perspective of who we belong to. My dad was a warrior. And he always used to say this. He worried till the day he died. Worried when he was poor that he didn't have any money. He came into money and then he worried that he had money. <laughs> he used to say, worry, Steve, is a sin. I'm not sure he's right. It can be a gateway to sin. But every single one of us will have a propensity in some area to worry. It's what we do with that, whether it becomes sin or not. And the problem for my dad was, because worry was a sin, guess what? He worried all his life. He lived in shame. I wish I could say to him now, come on, Dad, lift up your head. We're all going to worry about something. When I was a child watching him, when I was eight or nine, seeing him in his panic, you know what I thought? I'm never going to worry. Well, you don't when you're eight, do you? Some eight-year-olds do, I know. But I didn't. It's all about, what are they worrying about? I'm never going to worry. Then I became a man. Hello. Then I got married. Will she still love me? When I'm 64, will I still love her when she's 55? It's next year, isn't it? <laughs> I'm planning on it. Whoops, that was a mistake, mistake, mistake. You can reveal your, your own age, but don't reveal your wife's age. Then we had three children. Oh, I remember when our firstborn was born. And he popped out. Well, he didn't pop out. He was dragged out. He was forceps. Just a bit of detail for you. <laughs> and they gave him to me. And I cried. And he cried. <laughs> and the midwife said, oh, it obviously runs in the family. <laughs> and then we've had child number two and number three. We did give them names, by the way. With every one, your capacity to love grows. You ache with love for them. Try not worrying about your kids. I remember thinking, one day when they're 18, my worrying days will be over. You silly idiot thinking that, Steve. It gets worse in some ways. Especially when they live the other side of the world. Jesus knew we would struggle with worry. So he told us these two things. One, don't do it. That wasn't the actual instruction. 
the actual instruction to not worry, to find a way not to worry is this. Seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added to you. Can I be honest with you as I draw in and close? We've been here 24 years. Do you know that? Next year's our 25th. Maybe we'll go on sabbatical. <laughs> Towards the end of this 24-year period, there's some things that happened in our lives that were achievement moments. Our children eventually leaving home, the last one, Megan, going to Australia. It did feel like, oh, we've got through that, and they are reasonably whole and happy, reasonably. But when the house got empty, and I do love my wife, I missed them. Really did. I, I've struggled with empty nest. Just be honest with you, I've struggled with it. Others of you I know, great relief. Not for me. I liked having them there. I don't like photographs, honest, that show the past with our children young. Because I miss it. I wish I was still there. I can't live there. I don't want them around the house. I said to Angie, don't put them around the house. Because, well, look, I feel sad. So, getting to the end of that stage of life, and then this place. I don't want us to go on about this place forever. But the finishing of it was quite an achievement. The finishing of the other floor and the way that it happened was a miracle. And I felt really achieved. Really achieved. Really pleased. We've got there. But then, this started to come into my mind. 24 years. I've got all these dreams for the future. Will I be able to do it? 24 years, great. Another 10, 14 years, whatever it is. I'm, I'm not as young as I was. Will, will I have the energy? Will I have the wisdom? Will I have, will, what can I say on another Sunday? I think, will I run out of words? And I started to worry about the future. Part of us going away was to review the future. The good news is, part of the going away is that we realize we're in our sweet spot. But this is my point that I want to say. I've been here 24 years, but when I came at the age of 32, if you remember my last sermon, I said about things that I would tell my 32-year-old me, I couldn't do it then either. I didn't have what it took. Nor a 33, nor a 34, nor a 35, or 36, or 37. I had to come back to this. Seek first the kingdom of God, and he'll give you all the things you need. It's not about me. It's not about my ability. It's not about what I can do. It's not about my energies, or my wisdom, or my gift. It's about him. Seek first the kingdom of God and the worry subsides because you get a right perspective. This life ain't all there is. You are highly valued. He is in control. Your future is better than you know. I have to fight sometimes, guys. Fight it. Smash it in the face. Fear of death. It comes over me. I think I'm going to die. If I get cold, I'm going to die. I know it's a man thing. I have to face it. Let's just be honest, but when you see Billy Graham's funeral this week, he knew that our future is better than we can ever imagine. And we believe this, and we should make it our confession. I believe that Jesus died and rose to death. I believe for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I'm going to seek first his kingdom. And guess what? Everything else will be added to you. Musicians, Please come back. Please come back.
Here's my advice. Don't worry. Seek first the kingdom. Oh, can I add one more thing? I've got to say this. didn't say this in the first service. But I want to say it to people like Steve Cannon. Don't worry alone. If you do worry, get with someone else. Because we need each other. I did miss you. I missed your Facebook statement. So, to be honest, it's the only thing I missed from Facebook was Steve Cannon. We've become so aware of how much we love you and how much we need you. We couldn't do any of this on our own. We need each other. And if worry ever grips your heart, get someone to come alongside you. A fellow seeking, seeker of the kingdom. And pray with them. And say, come on. Our future is better than our past. The past was good. Look back in, in, in gratitude, not regret. But look forward in hope. And act in love. And seek first the kingdom. We love you. And we appreciate you.